Craft Beer Radio, episode 52, September 13th, 2006. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And I'm Jeff Bear. This week we're doing porters, and I don't see any porters on the table. Crap of a failure. <laughs> Jeff's going to have to run and get those porters. But we have beer now. Through the magic of space-time warping, I was able to go there and back in just an instant. A little radio magic for everybody. So our first beer is going to be... Let's start um, east to west. Sure. East Coast, Smutty Nose Brewing Company's Robust Porter. Sounds good to me. Smutty Nose Robust Porter, 5.7% alcohol by volume. Winter release from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. 10,000 barrels. And they are available in Arizona, California, Connecticut, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Vermont, Virginia, Washington, D.C., in Wisconsin, supposedly. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Whoa! Yeah, that's uh, that's hoppy, isn't it? Well, we could say that this thing won the uh, gold medal with the Great American Beer Festival in mm-hmm. two thousand five, two thousand one, two thousand one. Judge Grand Champion Best Port in the USA, the tenth annual U.S. Beer Tasting Championship. Don't know when that was. Hopped with Cascade hops. Wow. We're getting a lot of chocolatey, coffee aroma out of this beer. Mm-hmm. And it hops. Pours black with a, a brown, brown, sturdy head. I know this is a bit stuffed, so I'm not getting as okay. much uh, aroma out you're, of this. You're as really I missing out. I know. <laughs> but I know it's there because I can smell it through that stuffiness. Mmm. Whoa. <laughs> it's robust. Yeah, it's very robust. It certainly is robust. It has a whole bunch of um of um chocolate malt flavor. It's a bit sharp at the end like porters can be. Mm-hmm. Finishes a bit dry and astringent or not astringent, but Well sharp is a good way to yeah, put sharp. it. Tannico maybe. Tannic. A bit tannic. Right. It hits you with yeah with a uh, a chocolate uh, up front like like Jeff said. Uh, there's, there's a bit of hops is kind of like around, it's sort of surrounded by hops, mm-hmm. but there, there's a there's a chocolatey, a dark chocolate uh, yeah. flavor that's kind of yeah dark bitter chocolate yeah, something like that. That's really that's, that's really kind of flaring out and, and all over the the mouth. You know what? That's a you know what? It's been a long time since I've had a bite of bitter baker's chocolate. And from what I remember, this tastes a lot yeah. like, you know, a bite of that. There's two kinds of porters, you know. Usually they go into two classes. There's one that's really roasty and it's almost stout-like. Mm-hmm. There's ones that are more like this one, more uh, sharp, tannic well, at the end. We should, this is an excellent time to bring up the BJCP guidelines for porter, which well, we haven't been doing as much in, in past episodes, so we thought we'd bring that back. 
Exactly. But even in the robust porter category, it seems like different brewers take it one of those two ways. Right. They usually fall into one of those two camps where it's more roasty and closer to a stout. And then there's this one where it finishes dry and thin and is a little bit sharp at the end. Mm-hmm. So for the, the porter aroma, we're looking at a roasty aroma, often a lightly burnt black malt character, which I think we get out of this beer. Yeah, definitely. What This beer, by the way, is a smutty nose robust porter. Uh, should we notice it said uh, the the rum may be moderately strong. Optionally, may also show some additional malt character and support. Some American versions may be dry hopped. Fruity esters are moderate to none. I, I'd say there's a moderate amount of hops in this, in the aroma here. Mm. I can really detect it. I mean, even with my nose you know, yeah. stuffed up, I yeah, can really I'm detect it. smelling some hops in there. In the same way that... The, the hops kind of flare on the outside when you taste it. The hops are kind of flaring in the outside of the aroma. If you can visualize this, the aroma. The, uh, the flavor should be a moderately strong malt flavor. Usually features a lightly burnt black malt character. Sometimes chocolate and dark coffee flavors. Come lots of coffee flavors mm-hmm. in this. A bit roasty dryness in the finish, which uh, I think this one nails perfectly. Sure. I can see why this one won an award, can't you? <laughs> Medium to high bitterness, which can be accentuated by the roasted malt. May have, may have a sharp character from dark roasted grains, although it should not be over, overly acrid, burnt, or harsh. So this definitely has a sharp character. Um, some, I think that somebody, some people may consider this harsh. Like I wouldn't expect um, Heather, for instance, to really enjoy this. Well, there's not many beers Heather does like, but yeah, I mean, someone who might like something like. Um, Sierra Nevada or mm-hmm. Great Lakes Edmund Fitzgerald might find this one a little too sharp at the end. Yeah, and this and because of that, I think it it makes it a little less drinkable than some of the other ones. I think people when you tend to think about a drink a really drinkable beer, you think it's something that goes down smoothly and easily. Whereas yeah. this one, it's a little more challenging. Yeah. You got to work through it. It's not one that's just going to slide down your gullet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The uh, robust porters are stronger, hoppier, and roastier version of the porter, either as a historic design as either a historical throwback or an American interpretation of the style. Traditional versions have more subtle hop character, often English, while modern versions may be considerably more aggressive. Both types are equally valid. I'd say this one's a more aggressive hop yes, character. Yes, definitely. Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, I think that challenging beers tend to win competitions as over over really drinkable ones. I just think this is, I mean, I can see why this one, it it is challenging. There's Mm -hmm. a lot there to explore, and it's a good, it's leaning towards that sharp porter. It's definitely on that camp, you know, entrenched in that camp. And I I just think it's a really good example. It's probably one of the more drinkable sharp tannic porters that I've had. I'm thinking of some of the other ones that I've had, flag porter. And some other ones like that. And I just don't find those really enjoyable. But this one doesn't. The same kind of style, but more enjoyable. I think that what really helps is that real strong backbone of, of chocolate. Mm-hmm. That real you know, roasty, dark chocolate backbone that's very strong there. And it, it helps bring, bring the, the person who's drinking it through that tannic period. The aroma on this thing is just amazing. I mean, the only beer where I've can think of where I get like more chocolate aroma is like rogue chocolate stout which has you know chocolate in it. 
and maybe same Adam Chocolate Bach, but and this thing is just wish I could smell this more <laughs> because I can't really smell as much. I'm about, I'm running about fifteen uh, percent smell. Supposedly. When you say that you enjoy the aroma of a beer better than the flavor, it kind of takes on a connotation that it's not a good tasting beer. This is a good tasting beer, but I still like the aroma more than the flavor on this one. The aroma is just top notch. Greg's missing it. Ha ha. I know. I'm, I'm sad. Well, let's talk about business. Uh, you can contact us in multiple ways. Yes, we have a uh, email address, beer at craftbeerradio.com. You can post a comment on our website, craftbeerradio.com. You can put a pin in our Frapper map on uh, linked on our website. I think that we had, you saw the Podcast Alley in there. Yeah, Podcast Alley. You could buy a DVD and send us an email and say, hey, yeah. I bought your DVD. <laughs> See, we're working, are we are weaning our way off of it, see? Yeah. Instead of just being a plug there, it's a way to contact. Now, now you're thinking. <laughs> we also want to point Next out. Next week you can use the DVD's toilet paper, see? So we're, we're getting <laughs> off of it. Okay. Now we want to point out, using a DVD as toilet paper would probably not feel very good. Well, there's a paper cover on it. Oh, there is? Okay, see, I haven't seen how Jeff actually distributes these. You actually have one right here, number two. Oh, look at that. I've been forgetting to give it to you. I got a DVD now. Hooray for me. Awesome. And you didn't to have to pay. <laughs> and you didn't even have to pay. Wow. Awesome. I want to point out that uh, we, something we, we forgot to point out last week. We are featured in Imbibe Magazine. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have the 15 people who are making drinks better, they say. Is that and, how it's worded? Uh, something like that. We're the Imbibe 15. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Jeff and I are, are featured as two of those people. Uh, there's an interesting article. I, I was really uh, impressed by the guy who is like a, a soda sommelier. Okay. Like you go to um, a, a restaurant and what do they have to drink with your meal? They have wine and maybe they'll have beer. But what about somebody who doesn't like to drink alcohol? Right. And so he actually makes his own sodas and stuff like that. Okay. And pairs them with food. I thought that was really cool. And sodas probably don't have to be sweet, huh? You can probably have yeah. complex flavors in sodas. Absolutely. So I thought that was really cool. Just an example of what's in there. It's a, it's a magazine about drinks. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it at Borders around the country. Um, it's, it's, a re- it's a cool magazine. And like I said, Jeff and I are both featured in there. So you can check that out. As it's warming up, the tannic flavor is getting a little bit more pronounced. But uh, it's actually sticking around a bit longer. So this may be a beer that's kind of best cold if you don't really enjoy that tannic flavor. Well, the flavor might stick around more, but the beer doesn't. The beer is gone. So. <laughs> I'm done with the, uh, the Smutty Nose Porter. That was delicious. You hear a lot of good informa- good stuff about Smutty Nose on the message boards, and we can't get it here in Pittsburgh normally. That yeah. was sent in by Martin. That's it, Martin. Thanks, Martin. So thank you very much. Well, let's go on to our next one. Yeah, because I was done with that really quickly, too. So, so next, we're, stop- we're going uh, west across the country. We're stopping in Fort Wayne, Indiana. All right. This this sounds like a monkey toe beer. It is, I'm pretty sure it is a monkey toe <laughs> beer. He sent us a bunch of beers from Three Floyds and, and the Midwest there, and I'm pretty sure this was one of them. Or was it the guy who sent the Crooked Tree? Crap. Oh, see, now we're... <laughs> Damn. You got to start right. You got to get a Sharpie. No, I've been doing that. The new stuff that came in, I wrote right on the bottle. 
who who the beer is from. But this stuff was lost to the ages by the time mm. I realized I needed to start writing on the bottle. Well, if you want to correct us, send us in an email. We, we get a lot of corrections. Speaking of email, Tom writes, What's up with the pumpkin ale? I went to a store and it seems every brewery has a pumpkin ale out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you know it's October. It's getting to be that time of year. People are getting out their Oktoberfest and their pumpkin ales. Yeah, some are good. Some are bad. I think it's worth trying. I definitely will try a couple um, Dogfish Head pumpkins this year probably. Um, let's see. Who else do we like? The Post Road from... Uh, right, Post Road. The, the, the Brooklyn Brewed Beer from Post Road Brewing. I think that as long as... You try a bunch of pumpkins at a time and don't pair them with a you know a strong like double yeah. IPA or something like that. You'll be yeah. fine. That certainly, if I remember right, that was a style that fell into the rule of same style tasting. Right. And uh, for listeners, we haven't talked about that in a while. That's where when we do these shows, we start getting tuned into a certain style throughout the show, and when you start, it seems like we enjoy the style overall more than as we would just if we were just out of a bar having a, a pumpkin ale right. or. <laughs> Uh, maybe a Hellas or something like that. I think that that's the trick, is that if you go to a bar and you have a whole bunch of different beers, a whole bunch of different styles, the stronger ones are obviously going to stick out. They're gonna, and the, the lighter ones are the ones that aren't necessarily as complex are really going to pale in comparison. Whereas if you do a whole bunch of the same type of beers at once, you start to pick out the little things that you wouldn't necessarily pick out. So that's why if you're going to do a pumpkin beer tasting, only have pumpkin beers. Okay, this one's Roma. There's two things in there. There's a nice roast, and there's a bit of an off flavor, off aroma. And I'm still trying to pin down which off aroma it is. It's kind of a, it's a either, vinegary or something yeah, like that? Yeah, it's either like acetone or Band-Aids or uh, rubber bands. I'm not sure which one yet. This one is the... Uh, Mad Anthony uh, Old Fort Porter. Old Fort Porter. Mad Anthony Brewing Company, Fort Wayne, Indiana. 1,500 barrels available in Indiana and Ohio. I think it might. I think you're 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 right on that Band-Aid one. Yeah. Not really getting in the flavor. Now this one is uh, doesn't have much roast in the flavor. Has a little bit of astringency to it. A little mm-hmm. bit of sharpness in the end. Has this watery coat to it. It really doesn't like. Like, the sharpness doesn't really like, dig into your tongue like with the last one. Wow, but at the end, a, a lot of, like, burnt uh, oh. flavors coming through. Yeah, late in the aftertaste, like, after I sipped and described it for 20 seconds and opened my mouth, felt powdery, like, my mouth was, like, powdery dry. Hmm. Yeah, as opposed to, you know, there was the chocolateness you got out of... The smutty nose, and this one you're getting a really a flavor of burnt grains. Um, I guess you're getting a little bit of kind of the greasiness that we talked about with Fat Tire from this as well. A little bit kind of, uh, almost like it feels like a coating around the tongue. See, I mean, maybe some of it, but like Fat Tire, there was so much there, it felt like, you know, there was actually like oil in the in the beer. At least in the, uh, the Fat Tire bottle we had here. That aroma, it's getting a little bit stronger, and it's no good. Luckily, I'm not tasting it. Normally, when I take a sip, I breathe in Mm -hmm. as the beer comes in, and that time it was just like (sighs) Band-Aids or acetone or something. (laughs) I don't know why I can't tell the two apart right now, but I'm having trouble figuring out which one it is. Well, as we're trying to figure that out, let's go to where what beer am I? Last week's beer was Bluebird Bitter from Coniston Brewing Company in the U.K., 
We had nine people who got it right this time. We have Chris, Jacob, Scott, Dave, Heath, Jason, Scott, Jay, Justin, and Scott L. So just two Scots, not three, actually. Okay. I think I put a Scott in there too many times. And let's well, multiple plug, Scots won. Let's plug the thing into the uh, the winner chooser 5,000. Boop, 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 boop. And the winner is number one. Number one, Chris. Chris. Congratulations, Chris. You are the winner of a glass from East End Brewing Company. East End Brewing Company. Uh, Buy a good friend a good beer. Buy a good friend a good beer and use your glass to drink it. This week's What Beer Am I? I am a Belgian-inspired Scotch Ale. I am the newest barrel-aged beer released by my brewery. I am sold in 750 milliliter corked bottles. I have a brother that is named after the French word for curious, and another brother who has the same name as a Greek mythology book. I'm, I'm <laughs> as clueless as you are on this one. Yeah, I, I haven't looked it up yet, and I have no guesses on wow. this one. That one was uh, submitted by Scott, intern Scott. If you have a guess, send it to beer at craftbeerradio.com. And Chris, if you're listening, send me your address to claim your prize. The intern Scott's done a lot for us. We should give him a glass. He needs to win one. <laughs> oh, so evil. Nah, I, Remember, the Jeff's the bad cop. Remember that, guys. I was thinking about giving uh, intern Scott a glass. We'll see here. If he sends in his address, I really couldn't say no. <laughs> Has this improved any? I mean, I'm, I'm actually starting to taste a little bit of that band-aidness in the beer. Hasn't improved. It's about the same. You know, kind of get, you know, you get hit with it with a bit of a... Of, Astringency. Then that's when I'm starting to get this band-aidness around it. Kind of a little bit of hoppy, hoppy bitterness at the back of your tongue, but still kind of a, a tannicness uh, still surrounding it. Then as you breathe a little bit more, you get what what seems to me is kind of a greasy cover to your tongue, and beneath that, this really dark, burnt flavor of burnt grains. The, the band-aid flavor uh, or medicinal flavor can be spicy-like cloves caused by various phenols, which are initially produced by the yeast. Chlorophenols result from the reaction of chlorine-based sanitizers bleach with the phenol compounds and have very low taste thresholds. Rinsing with boiled water after sanitizing is the best way to prevent these flavors. Now, a professional brewery wouldn't think they'd be used chlorinated water, mm-hmm. um, but we're tasting band-aid-y stuff in here, so... Thank and we you. could be wrong. Thank you, John Palmer, for your How to Brew book for reminding me what, what Band-Aids were caused by. Band-Aids are also caused by Johnson & Johnson. Yeah. Well, let's see. There's more email to go. Gary writes in, went to Stone 10th, a great beer fest. Greg, you would have loved it, I'm <laughs> sure. Uh, the 10th anniversary IPA is incredible, and they have a dry hot version at the fest. The fest had Russian River, Pizza Port, Oogles, Drake, and Victory. There was at least 40. Well, actually, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it does sound awesome. Um, Now, you know, I get this a lot, and I want to make sure, I want to make certain that people know that I am certainly willing to try anything, and I want to try Stone's 10th Anniversary IPA. However, I get a lot of people who love Stone beers telling me, man, you got to try this one. I know you don't like Stone beers. This one's awesome. (laughs) And almost invariably, it's the same deal. So, I... As much as I, you know, appreciate people, you know, people can enjoy their beer as much as they want to. 
remember that if you're if you're trying if you want me to really enjoy a beer, remember I don't like the sticky stuff. That's all I can say. <laughs> you know, maybe they're saying that the 10th anniversary is not sticky like most of other stone beers. Maybe or they maybe are. they're just saying this so they can hear you bitch about. <laughs> maybe that's what they want <laughs> too. You guys all want to torture me, don't you? Jeff's the bad cop. You remember that? <laughs> Speaking of bad cop, we got an email from Rick Sellers. We made mm-hmm. the uh, call. You know, we talked about the whole Anheuser Busch thing, which yeah. the whole show and and our coverage of it. Let's let's put that down. But we did ask yeah. that if. Anyone has seen Inhiser Bush using their muscle to push craft taps off of bars, let us know. And Rick says there's a bar in his town, a crappy bar, where you said, you know, this would never happen to a good bar. Yeah. But it, when I read this email and this other one from Ben about crappy bars getting their, you know, pseudo micros or micros pushed off for these cra- uh, specialty Inhiser Bush beers, you know, that, that's a lot of beer sales still, you know? So. I, I got to wonder about that. And like he said, I don't want to really get into uh, too much here with this because we've been talking about this for three episodes, right. for the, for three episodes now. But you know, yes, if Anheuser-Busch is, pushing, is intentionally pushing off micros, then that, that's not a good thing that we can really support. However, at the same time, at, these, at some of these bars where people aren't necessarily going to drink – most people are not going to drink the uh, – the, 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 Micro beer, anyway. Uh, if any beer is on there that's reasonably different from mm-hmm. from from the, from the mainstream, then that that's at least a good thing. It's at least a start, right? As long as they're not all mainstream, you know, corn loggers. Rick goes on to say, so obviously the beer is being pushed by the local distributors because someone has to be prodding, you know, them to get these beers on. Now, you know, there's two things. Yeah, the beer is still different. It opens up people's eyes. Maybe if they realize it's associated with the Anheuser Bush, we'll actually get them right. to try it. So that's one thing that would actually help the whole craft beer thing. Another one is if they're if they talk to bar into putting it on and it doesn't sell, bar's not going to keep yeah. it on. Bar wants to put on something that moves. Yeah. And uh, if they put it on because the craft beer, was, craft beer wasn't moving, then they didn't have the clientele to support it. So, I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of things here. And, you know... Now, Rick it, said they were putting on bare knuckle. I wouldn't <laughs> drink that crap. I think bare knuckle's gross. But I think, you know, Guinness is gross, too, in the same way. Yeah, Ben said the same thing, where he was at a sports bar that, you know, had, usually had two craft-type beers, and they've been replaced with um, the Michelob and the Beach Bum Blonde and stuff like that. So now people are trying – if they try a craft beer, they're trying an Anheuser-Busch craft beer instead of another craft beer. I don't know. I still have that argument, which I can't let go of, where it says people are trying craft beer. That's good. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, just because they're not trying – I mean, someone could call – in theory, could call Yingling a craft beer. I, I think you know it has been, right? Mm-hmm. has been called that. But I certainly would rather somebody try Beach Bomb than, than Beach Bomb than than a Yingling because I think Yingling is just a, yet another. I mean, it's not a corn lager, right? I mean, it's you know it's a traditional right. all grain lager, mm-hmm. but it's yet another just trying to you know appeal to the masses type lager. Whereas at least here's something a little bit different. Email. Enough of that. Well, let's finish this beer off because I you know mine's finished. I can read a couple emails here. Oh, Matt wrote in. He um, must be a newer listener. And he asked. He said, it "Asked if we heard about that free beer, that homebrew open source recipe." Oh yeah, yeah, we talked about that before. We talked we? about it before. They've gone through. Actually, it forked. <laughs> Instead of being the the Dutch name or whatever, our beer. Now it's the Free Beer Project, and they're up to version three. And uh, I, I just explained to Matt in an email, but you know, I was thinking about it a little bit more. I'm like, 
all the you know, I have yet to see a four pay beer recipe online, right? Mm-hmm. They're all listed there with no specific license. They're basically in the public domain. So putting a beer recipe online with a Creative Commons license is actually more restrictive than all the other beer recipes. <laughs> in a sense, that's really true. Because you have to, if you give the beer to someone, you have to be able to give them the source as well. Right. You know? <laughs> so if you distribute your beer at all, you have to make the recipe public. And um, so there's actually, it's more restrictive to the brewer than just any of the other recipes. And it still has the guarana beans in it. <laughs> Or whatever, or <laughs> caffeine, or energy, or whatever. Uh, in terms of of, of open source or that sort of concept, Jeff and I are, are you know big into that sense that yeah, our show is our, under the yeah. same license as this beer, right? But our show has some property there. It, I don't know. We actually had we had somebody recently ask us they wanted to use our show in in some way. We never really got to the bottom of what exactly he was using it for, but. I, you know, I think we pointed out, hey, we're creative, we're creative Commons. As so. long as you follow these guidelines, yeah. you can use the show. It's Go fine. Nuts. I mean, I, I and think, he asked what kind of attribution we'd like because we're a non-commercial by yeah. attribution. And I'm um, like, well, ideally, you know, I mentioned on the if you use us a lot, say, you know, these segments are from Craft Beer Radio, maybe link to our website. That'd be perfect. But as long as it's legally attribution, then that's yeah. all he has to do. So I mean, the question comes up, of course, well, what if... He does something with the show, makes it you know super great and really popular, and he becomes popular. And in a sense, well, that's what the whole Creative Commons license is about. If you can do something more with what we create, go for it. Right. Thing is, he can't make money on it. He can't make money on it, or unless uh, we let him. Unless we let him, but then we'll have to get royal. Right. I want royalty back. So, <laughs> all right. What's next? That was next the beer. old Fort Porter. So now we're stopping in Denver, Colorado. Oh, okay. I have a feeling I know what this beer is. This is uh, St. Bridget's Porter from Great Divide, 5.9%. I don't think I've ever had this one. 5.9% alcohol by volume, uh, available year-round. Great Divide, one of our favorite companies, is in Denver, Colorado. 16,000 barrels per year. Whoa. Stop foaming. That's a big head. This one's a a bit energetic in the bottle. Uh, Great Divide is available in Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, Washington, Washington, D.C., and Wisconsin. So basically, if you can't get Great Divide, you're one of the unlucky ones. Yeah. Oh, so as we wait for our heads to uh, go down. <laughs> it's about an inch of beer. We are drinking these in pine glasses, about an inch of beer and about, you know, five, six inches ahead. Uh, porters, you typically want to drink it at a warmer temperature, get that flavor out. So I would say 45 to 50, somewhere in there. Pint glasses are typically the glass. Uh, the English-style pint glasses with a bulge would be good, too, especially if it's a cast condition. You want that to catch the yeast. Yeah. Um, you know, we brought all these beers out right before the show. They're warming up throughout. Um, actually, you know what? They weren't in the fridge too long because you... You may, you know caught an audible at work today and said it's let's true. do porters. So I had to come home and throw the porters in the fridge. What were you planning on doing? Uh, we were going to do IPAs. The reason uh, reason I said porters is you know, it's been a rainy couple of days. It's kind of that sort of mood. It's kind of English, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Starting to get a little bit cooler around here, and we just did double IPAs. Well, we have all these IPAs I've been holding on to for a while, and I wanted to get through them before you know before the hops fade anymore. Uh-huh. So we're going to do the IPAs soon. Just because they're best fresher. So let's see if I can get a little bit of aroma here. 
I can smell some CO2. <laughs> That's about it right now. <laughs> I can smell a little bit of hoppiness here. We got one more email. Uh, Dan wrote in. He found it quite ironic that uh, two days before he listened to our podcast, he went to Cafe Dale Says, the, uh-huh. the, the restaurant in New York with the beer sommelier. He, um, he agreed a lot with what they said, how they leaned towards European beers. He was surprised how much he liked the, the Cronenberg, Cronenberg on tap. But probably the main reason is, uh, in the spirit of food pairings, he really liked the pancakes <laughs> at Cafe Dale Says. <laughs> I don't know if he's joking or not, but... Uh, I hope he had pancakes at the Yeah, all. I hope he had pancakes w- with, with the Cronenberg. <laughs> <laughs> and then we can show you guys that we were right. See, pancakes rule. Yeah, because I think this beer would really go well with bacon and eggs. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, that's it, huh? We got no other news or anything this week, do we? Um, we talk about that... Internet Brewery guy. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, that's a good thing while this is going down. Internet Brewery dude. There'll uh, be a link on the website. He, um, I don't know if we, we certainly didn't talk about it on the main show. Maybe we talked about it on the post show. I don't know. This guy who wanted to trade things for a house. He wanted to get a house and he started with uh, going to tra- make a bunch of trades. And he started, with, I think it was a red paper clip. Exactly. And through, I think, seven or eight trades, he got a house ultimately. I was surprised. I think it would take like, ton, you know, 20, 20, 50, you know, just dozens of trades. But he went from a paperclip to a fish pen to a doorknob, a handmade doorknob to a camp stove to a generator to a snowmobile to a box truck to a day with Alice Cooper. Something like that. <laughs> or Kermit Burnson or something like <laughs> a, a part in a Kermit Burnson movie, which ultimately led him to, to get a house. But anyway, there's a guy who's starting the Internet Brewery where his plan is to... Um, Ask people for money, basically right. to be the investors, a, a penny at a time. He's trying to raise one hundred fifty thousand dollars to start a brewery He's and going, guarantee them uh, a case, right? A case. I, of I didn't even hear what the uh, pay, think, you know, payback was, but uh, he's here in Pittsburgh. He's going to Carnegie Mellon. There's a great article which I'll link to in the Pittsburgh City Paper. It's a, the local uh, free, you know, sitting in all the bars type paper, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, talk about it. And they interview Scott Smith from East End Brewing Company. And the guy's like, Scott's like, well, it costs a little bit more than 150 yeah. grand to start a brewery. Because it's not just equipment. It's also all the licensing fees and all the, you know, all the alcohol boards that you have to go through and all the regulations. And mm-hmm. so. And the guy admits he has no business plan. Yeah. But when he, when he sets his mind out to do something, he does it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there's been a bunch of sort of internet success stories. There's the million dollar homepage. Remember that? Where some guy yeah. started to sell one pixel for a dollar. He had a million pixels. And he sold a, a dollar a pixel. And you know, some companies really just jumped on it. And he yeah. got a million dollars out of it. There's also, uh, I think there, there was some girl who wanted to get it. Get a hundred thousand dollars for like to to go to college or something, and so she started something where it was donated a dollar, and people did, and so she got the money. I forget what that was. So it's not unprecedented for people to make money that way. Uh-huh. Uh, people are are normally kind of altruistic, or at least they want to have something for their money. So the million dollar homepage was it was also a good mm-hmm. thing. Right. I don't really understand you know, why people would say here's here's a dollar for you to. You know, use on your own to. <laughs> it's like if I said I well, want to. Get, st- they're getting beer back yeah, if he uh, ever gets his brewery. It's like you know, hey, everybody, send me a dollar. I want to start my own software company and start charging people for this for my software. <laughs> people are going to be like, well, what do I get out of it? And like, you, you don't get anything. You just you know, you you, you lose a dollar. <laughs> and I don't know whether people are really into that. So we'll see. Wow, 
okay. I wouldn't apply this as a wow beer, but wow, that's a different flavor. Because I'm smelling some of the same flavor I had in the other beer. One from Sensitive to Tonight? Or yeah, there's a little bit of tagness, but then it really gives hoppy. And then <laughs> it fades into almost a toffee flavor. Are we drinking the same beer? Because mine tastes... Has the same kind of off flavor that Matt Anthony had. Are you getting it at all? Really? No. It's, it's stronger in this one for me. It's in the aroma. A little bit more of that band aid uh It's a little more uh, solventy. Which one is this? This is um, the Great Divide. Oh, yeah. St. Bridges from Great Divide. This one's a little more solventy than the Matt Anthony, but it's still that that sweet medicinal um, flavor in there. It's in, and it's it's more potent in the flavor than than in the Matt Anthony. I really don't get it. Yeah, I'm not liking that at all. <laughs> I'm liking wow. any toffee or anything. No, I mean I, I start. You know, I get this hoppy. I get a little bit of I guess, and I get a hoppiness. And hoppiness fades into what? Yeah, to me, it's kind of toffiness, a little bit. Uh, Sort of almost milk chocolatey. Um, no, none of that. Wow. Yeah, this is the this is one of the first times Jeff and I really disagree about the flavor of a beer. I just think this beer. I'm not saying the beer in general is bad. This bottle could be off, but this bottle is no good, in my opinion. Hmm. I can't even finish this one. Really, that bad? Yeah. I'm. I'm. It's perfectly enjoyable to me. Well, talk about how much you love it, because <laughs> it's one I'm not even going to finish. Hmm. That's too bad, because we love Great Divide, and I'm going to have to go buy a bottle of this, try to make sure it's fresh, and drink it right away. Just, oh, there's date notches. Let's see. What do we have here? Wow. Okay. If these notches are right, this bottle was really old. April of 2005. Hmm. So that's no good. It shows, I guess it really shows how, how good of a beer judge I am because I'm, I'm kind of enjoying it. <laughs> well, you can finish it. <laughs> Maybe it's just because um, my nose is you know kind of stuffed and that is... Yeah, maybe it's hiding all the, the bad flavors. Oh, well, our last beer of the night is from... That's Eel probably Lord. the least we had to say about a beer ever, huh? <laughs> At least for me. Uh, our, our last beer tonight is Eel River Certified Organic Porter, which is from Fontana, California. It's a year-round brewery, a year-round beer. And it's, um, you can pour this out in there. This was sent to us by Gary. It's a rather thin-looking porter, isn't it? it? looks like a brown porter, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, they only have 12,000 barrels a year. Uh, Arizona, California, Florida, Idaho, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Yeah, I'd have to say this is color-wise. This is one of the lightest porters I've ever seen. You're not kidding. It looks like a brown ale. Sort of a brown ale with kind of bronze highlights. And I think uh, the aroma that got—I haven't smelled it yet, but it—that's a nice aroma, nice caramel toffee aroma. Mm-hmm. Definitely. From what I can smell, at least. <laughs> yeah, the aroma on this one is nice. Take my word for it. Eel River is um, a brewery I'd never heard of until Gary sent us the beer. They're uh, an organic. They're the uh, country's first certified organic brewery. Now, I actually don't go for organic beers a lot because I find that they kind of. They're, 
the flavors are just seem lesser from organic beers. Right. So we'll you see know, if there's any organic difference. materials cost more. So uh-huh. maybe they're built, brewing lighter beers in general. So we'll see how. To, so they have the same kind of price point. And not have a beer that costs yeah. twice as much. At the same time, they're also not using super fertilizer. So, <laughs> delicious <laughs> yeah, fertilizer, delicious and pesticides. That's yeah, a nice flavor. I wouldn't guess this one. This doesn't have like the the light, organic-y type taste that we're used to from organic beers. It it does. I mean, it tastes a little bit light to me. Uh, oh, as a lighter has a lighter mouth feel uh, than a typical you know that I would expect out of a typical porter. However, it doesn't compromise too much on the flavor itself, which is a mix of of like you said, there's caramel and there's uh, mid range chocolate. I'd say yeah, mid- I'm getting chocolate yeah. in the flavor, something I didn't pick up in the aroma. And it's kind of surprising to get that much chocolate flavor out of a beer that's so uh, ruby brown. But it is still; it does still kind of have a light mouth feel, and I think that it, I don't know. <laughs> Greg liked the Bridgets, which I thought was complete crap. <laughs> it, well, this is better than the same than, than the Bridgets to me. Okay, I, I mean, I think it's a, it's a better overall beer. I just didn't think the, the the Bridgets was was undrinkable. Okay, and I thought it was better than, than the than the Man Anthony's. So. But see, I mean, in a porter, I mean, the tannic thing was okay, but in a porter, I kind of like it when it's not so tannic. and More multi one, yeah. Yeah, and this is a good example of that. There isn't a lot of that tannicness. Yeah, this one, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I haven't had a whole bunch of brown porters, you know, because everyone makes a robust porter, so you right. really can't find that many brown porters. But this is interesting because you're drinking because it tastes like a porter at first, and then the middle and finish, it tastes more like a brown ale. Because it has more of those characteristics yeah. <laughs> you'd see from You don't have that that sharpness in this beer. It finishes more sweet, uh, more malty with caramel. So you have definitely more of that brown ale type finish to the beer. Not really getting a lot of hops out of this one either. No, it's a pretty malty beer, I'd say. And actually, you know, you can make organic barley fairly easy compared mm-hmm. to organic hops. Organic hops are a lot harder because of the diseases and the pests and everything. So there's a place um, in the area. Scott was looking to use them for the the hop harvest this year, but they didn't have enough hops or something. They weren't ready this year, maybe next year. But what they do is they pick all the leaves off the first four feet of the hop vine, and apparently that helps it resist the pests and the disease or something. And you so it doesn't climb up, I guess. I guess so you can better grow an organic hop if you strip off the first four feet of leaves. Which, if you look at my plant, it kind of makes sense. My plant, I guess, is technically organic. All I used was uh, mushroom manure. And uh, the bottom four feet, yeah, those leaves were eaten to hell. Mushroom manure? Yeah. What's that? It's something you get at the nursery. It's, I guess it's not technically manure. It's made out of mushrooms. and I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it was something that they said to mix into your soil when you plant your hot plants. So that's what well, I did. Is it organic? Were they organic mushrooms? I don't know if it was certified <laughs> organic, but it's not like I sprayed stuff on my own right. plants. So, I mean, no, my hops are not certified organic, but I didn't use any kind of pesticides or chemical fertilizer unless it came in the mushroom manure. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is the mushroom manure? I don't know. 
I didn't add anything post planting, okay? And were they magic <laughs> mushrooms? I mean, maybe you would eat the mushrooms. Maybe would that's why the plant grew so much trippy? for its first year. Whoa, man, these are awesome mushrooms. Time to rank? Yeah, we're done with the content. Why keep the people here longer than they want to be, right? Right, <laughs> exactly. You don't want to listen to us for too long. Uh, I think that you know, surprisingly, even though we have a disagreement about one of the beers, our, our rankings are probably going to be relatively similar. Well, maybe not. Nope, they're not going to be similar. Jeff, you go. Number one is the Eel River. This is really good. I like it. I like that sweeter, sweet finish. Right behind it is the the Smutty Nose Robust Porter. Mm-hmm. Bang up Porter. One of the best sharp you know, tannic porters that I've had. Yeah. But I think I still like the, the sweetness of this um, Mule River better. Matt Anthony, and the first two were close. Last two were close. There's a big gap in between. Because <laughs> the Matt Anthony and both the St. Bridget's, for me, had had the medicinal uh, off flavor yeah. that I didn't care for. So I'm going to put the Matt Anthony ahead of the St. Bridget. Well, because I could drink the Matt Anthony and the St. Bridget sitting in the extra glass here. <laughs> In, in in a sense, I agree with Jeff. The first two are similar, the last two are similar. I'm just going to flip those two around. So for me, um, I just think the Smutty Nose was just a, a bit better, uh, even though it was still kind of tannic. I like the, the mouthfeel of the Smutty Nose more, and that's kind of what I really want out of a porter is that mouthfeel. Uh, and the Eel River is, is second to me because, like, like Jeff said, it's a very good beer. It has kind of a little bit of a lighter taste, which I guess may be indicative not necessarily of it being organic but rather of it being a brown porter. The final two, Jeff didn't like the St. Bridges Porter at all. I thought it was okay. It was certainly more drinkable to me than the uh, old Fort, which was um, well, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the, the you know the, the the stuff it was leaving your tongue. <laughs> I didn't like uh, the kind of really burnt flavor at the end. I guess some people may really enjoy that burnt thing. I didn't like that burnt flavor. I think that especially the St. Bridges. I think you might like the St. Bridges if it's newer. We'll have yeah, to test that out. I'm going to definitely try it. I mean, because the brewery has such a good reputation yeah. for us that I'll definitely try the St. Bridges again before I discount it and and stack it with the Denver Pale Ale. <laughs> which is not. It was just one of the beers that I really don't care for because well, there's really not much going on in it. So that's about it. That's it for Craft Beer Radio. Send us an email, beer at craftbeerradio.com. We love to hear from you. <laughs> you know, do the whole you know, end thing twice. Yeah, I know. I usually do. Yeah. Oh, well. I like saying it in person. <laughs> but then there's always the, the pre-recorded Jeff that's coming on just a few seconds here to pick up whatever I miss and talks about the license. So take it away, Jeff. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. You can send us feedback to beer at craftbeerradio.com and feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. The opening and closing music was Out of Towners from the band St. Dragon and was found on the Podsafe Music Network, music.podshow.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information.